Thanks, Caleb and team. Our kids can slide out to be with our team in Transformation Station this morning. And I'd like to invite the rest of you to open your copy of God's life-giving word to the Gospel of Luke. We'll be in chapter 2 this morning. Uh, If you want to turn on your app, you can do that as well. And we'll be uh, studying the first 21 verses of Luke chapter 2 this morning. If uh, you're new to Redemption Hill, so grateful that you're able to join us. We'd love for you to take a couple moments and fill out the Connect card that's at the bottom of your worship guide that you received when you walked in. And if you prefer, you can just go online and do that. You can open up your Safari or Firefox, whatever, and uh, just go to rec.church. Why are you laughing at me, huh? Uh, rec.church forward slash cc, and uh, that'll be a way you can fill that out online if you're new. We'd love to just send you a, a message this week thanking you for coming and worshiping with us. Well, uh, this morning... I am excited to share what I believe are some of the most profound words ever recorded. And this story is one that is demanding our attention today in this Christmas season. So what I want to do is is ask you to hear these words as if you're hearing them for the very first time. I know that's kind of difficult. Maybe this is like the thousandth time for you. But whether it's your first time or your thousandth time, I want to encourage you to hear these words with a sense of newness. Maybe you could insert yourself into the characters of the story. Consider their surprise. Imagine their wonder. Do your best to feel the weight of what is happening here as this Christmas story unfolds. It starts like this. Luke writes this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And an angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling claws and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from 
them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. I can hardly read these words without thinking back to my childhood and the family traditions that were established on my mother's side of the family. Now, maybe you can identify with this. Uh, there's, there's a Christmas gathering of family, and um, we all enjoy a massive spread of food, right? And I got to tell you, ain't nobody can cook like Nancy Gordon. All right, that's my grandmother. I hope she's listening online this week. I love you, uh, Nancy. Uh, I mean, my mom, that's what I call her. Um, but, but, you know, after we stuff ourselves, then the, the children would move into the living room where the Christmas tree was and, of course, all of the gifts under the tree, right? And so there is this anxious anticipation uh, for every child leading up as, as the days grow closer to Christmas, right? The, the anticipation rises. And so uh, we're all in the living room waiting for that moment. The green light is given and we can open the gifts. And before that moment, what would happen is someone, usually my grandfather, would take his Bible and he would read the Christmas story right here, Luke 2, 1 through 21. And I must admit, I grew to appreciate that moment more and more as the years went on, right? Uh, so much so that now it's a tradition that we establish even in our own family to read this story. And why is that? It's because as we grow older, and as we learn the story of Christ, we begin to appreciate that these gifts, yes, it's, it's awesome to exchange gifts and to, to show love for one another in that way, but this Christmas story is about God's greatest gift and Him giving us His one and only Son who was born as a baby that night in Bethlehem. And so as we consider this story, there's no doubt, this is one of the most familiar stories in the Bible. I mean, I think they even read it on Charlie Brown Christmas uh, movie, right? Like whatever that thing is called, you're going to probably see it on NBC or something this, you know, next week or two. Um, like we are so familiar with this story and that's not an altogether bad thing, right? Um, it can be a beautiful thing because we should know of Joseph and Mary and the angels and the shepherds and, and, and all of the surroundings that's happening there in Bethlehem with this baby boy we know as Jesus. But at the same time, we know that familiarity can often breed contempt. In other words, we become so familiar with the story that we can kind of cruise by the story this Christmas and miss the, the, the weight of what's happening here. 
We can treat this story in such a casual way that the, the story almost is, is treated by us with a practical, ready for this, a practical disregard. And so what I hope today is that as we hear this story again and as we look at this story again and study this story, that we would experience the wonder of the story, the wonder of the Savior's arrival and all that he means for each and every one of us. And so as we dive into this story, what we're going to see is that the arrival of the Savior and his gifts should move us to a varied response, okay? Like not one-dimensional, all right, a multi-dimensional response as we see who he is and what he has done. So to work our way through this this story, I want to give us three encouragements as ways that we can respond to the arrival of Jesus Christ, our Savior, okay? Uh, Number one, let's embrace Jesus as the Savior of the world. Luke spends considerably more time than any other writer who captured the life and work of Jesus Christ. More than Matthew, more than Mark who precede Luke, and more than John who follows Luke's gospel. But at the same time, the announcement of the Savior's birth is quite simple. I mean, if you weren't paying careful attention, you might have missed it. Just verse 6 and 7, it just says this. How's this for just the, the facts? And while they were there, the time gave her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. I mean, this, this account by Luke of the actual, it's pretty simple, but don't let the simplicity fool us, right? There is something going on here of cosmic proportion. We see this as a story unfolds. Um, it'll, just think about it. If this story is true, then it is not an overstatement to say this is the most important birth the world has ever known. We see how the, 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 the story heightens with this announcement from an angel, a warrior of light to these shepherds. When he says in verse 10, fear not, for behold, I bring you what? Good news of great joy. These five words summarize the, the Christmas story for us. If you just like, if you want to like, what is the Christmas story about? And you're just kind of talking like, it's about good news of great joy. What is the arrival of Jesus about? It's about good news of great joy. Why is the Savior such a great Savior? Because his coming is good news that certainly brings us great joy. And we see how this is unpacked in verse 11 as they continue on. And look at all of this description here. It says, For unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior, Christ the Lord. We don't find these three descriptors of Jesus together consecutively anywhere else in the Scripture. We find that it that his name is Jesus. In, in the last uh, verse of the story, um, and we saw a couple weeks ago when the angel appeared to Mary and gave her the instructions that he should be named Jesus. Why is that? Well, it was a, a common name, Yeshua or Joshua, that simply means 
Yahweh or God saves. It can be translated, the Lord is salvation. It was a common name for a Jewish baby boy, but it was uncommonly embodied in this baby. Did you, did you catch that? I mean, like, salvation embodied in the arrival of this Savior. And so who is the Savior? Well, he, he is uh, Christ the Lord. Savior points to a deliverer, a rescuer. When you get frustrated with all of the, the challenges and difficulties of life, um, when you think about the predicaments that we often find ourselves in, just in life, kind of in, a, in the physical realm, much less spiritually what's going on inside of our souls, we have to ask ourselves, like, will there ever be a time when all of this mess will be straightened out? When all of the wrongs around us and all of the wrongs within us will be made right? And Luke says, hey, the deliverer is here. The rescuer is here. The savior is here. He can make it all right. Christ points us to the, the Messiah, the, the one that was promised, the Davidic king in the line of David from, from, from the, the lineage of King David, Israel's greatest king. It was promised there would be a, a ruler who would be established forever to lead God's people and all people. And you say, well, 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 well take me a little deeper here. Well, well, what about the irony of Caesar Augustus, who was the ruler of one of the world's greatest empires, setting up a census, a registration, that would lead to the fulfillment of the birth of the Savior being exactly where it was prophesied hundreds of years before. I love the irony in all. Jesus, the Savior, the Christ, and the Lord. Lord is the title given for none other than God himself. The claim of the angels is that the Savior has arrived, the Messiah has arrived, God has arrived. As we reflect on this, Account. This is certainly a huge moment. Maybe we could say the greatest moment of God breaking into time and space in the form of this baby boy, Jesus of Nazareth, born in Bethlehem. And as we, as we think about what, what's happening here, we, we should really catch the thread of humility that's woven throughout the story, right? I mean, first off, we, we have this, this um, being foretold, right, that it would happen in Bethlehem. Okay, Bethlehem was a tiny little town. It was a humble little town. Very, very, very small. And then the, the birth of the Savior, it, it, he wasn't born at MGH. You know what I'm saying? Like, Beth Israel, okay, like, he couldn't even get a spot in the local shelter all right, there was no room for him in the end. So he was born, I think, a pretty humble birth in a place reserved for animals, the Savior of the world. But then as we go on and as we think about this, this announcement that comes to angel, the, the angels bring to the shepherds, um, this announcement was, again, not to those in the palace, but it was just a common, no-name shepherds 
who hear the news first of the Savior's arrival. But all of that, Bethlehem and, and the stall and the shepherds, like all of that is just minor details in the grand narrative that the eternal Son of God was entering into our world to save us. This is known as, theologians would call, the incarnation. God becoming man. I mean, just, just think about what's going on here as we try to, to grasp the massive implications of the incarnation, all right? The eternal one, the one without beginning or end, takes on our humanity and is subject to time. The one who is perfectly righteous entered our dusty streets and is surrounded by our sinfulness and brokenness. The one who ruled over all things, in the words of John Bunyan, stooped down past the fallen angels to redeem us. To get a better grasp of the magnitude of, of this, we should consider the infinite distance between the creator and creation. Okay, Just in terms of essence, there is an infinite distance between creator, God, and creation us and everything that we see. In meditating on this, a guy that I studied in, in grad school a long time, his name was Octavius Winslow, okay, a pastor in England. Um, he, he said that, that there is some proportion between two finite things. There's always some proportion, but there is no point of comparison between the infinite and the finite. Okay, so let me just put this in very practical terms, all right? There is some proportion between a drop of water and the Atlantic Ocean, right? Think, think about that, right? There is, there is some proportion between a grain of sand and Mount Everest. There is some proportion. In my 2001 Nissan Pathfinder with, you know, a few dents and scratches and, you know, chip paint, I'm not... Sad, I'm just saying, all right? But, but there is some proportion in my vehicle and the $4.5 million V12, 0 to 60 in 2.9 seconds Lamborghini Venina. There's some proportion there, right? I mean, some. But there is no proportion, no point of comparison between the Son of God Becoming like us. This is the wonder of the story. In the Savior's arrival, we have an amazing, an amazing reality taking place. Paul, the, the Apostle Paul, one of the great theologians and missionaries of the early church, he, he puts it like this in Philippians chapter 2. Okay, just listen to these words describing Jesus, the humility of Jesus in his incarnation. He says this, Jesus Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, meaning he's fully divine, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant 
being born in the likeness of man. Okay, so, so listen, uh, Jesus did not empty himself of his divinity, okay? He was fully divine as the Son of God, and he was fully divine as this baby who uh, was born into our world. So he did not lay aside his divinity. What he, divinity, what he did is he took on our humanity. And Paul's saying this is unbelievably humble of Jesus to do so. But then he goes on and, and he says that like, not only was Jesus humble in his birth, but he was also humble in his death. And we certainly need both of these aspects here today. He goes on and he says this, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. No one would have dreamed up a scenario where the eternal Son of God becomes a baby through a virgin. And no one would have dreamed up a scenario when that, where that baby would have lived a perfect life and then ended his life by voluntarily sacrificing himself through death by crucifixion on a Roman cross. We would, we would never expect God's salvation to arrive in this way, and we would never expect God's salvation to be accomplished in this way. And yet, the opportunity for us today is to embrace this news that God has pursued us. Which as we think about the Savior's arrival, that's the last thing that I want you to consider as you consider embracing his arrival, is that um, in the incarnation of Jesus, it tells us that God is pursuing us. So like when we were not looking for God, God came looking for us. When we thought that maybe we could do enough things to appease God, God says, look, that's not going to work out for you, so I'm going to do what you could not do, and I'm going to send Jesus to live the life you should have lived and die the death that you should have died so that you can experience abundant life now and eternal life forever. That's how good I am. That's how gracious I am. So the incarnation, the story of this baby, tells us what the story of, of the entire Bible tells us about how we can relate to God, and it is by only God's grace and him pursuing us in this way. So number one, I hope, I pray that this Christmas season, you will embrace the Savior's arrival in your life. Number two, as we, as we consider how this humbles us, it should also inspire us as we learn how much we can experience in these gifts that accompany Jesus' arrival. So number two, experience the gifts of Jesus' salvation. Um, in the arrival of Jesus, we have an unbelievable list of gifts that come with his coming. If we were to continue to read the Gospel of Luke, something I would commend for you to do, you could do it uh, in less than two chapters a day leading up to Christmas, it would be very easy for, for you to do. And you could just mark all of the benefits of salvation that we receive, uh, benefits like freedom and forgiveness, benefits like a, a restored relationship with God and one another, benefits like the capacity to give and receive an unthinkable love that we have 
never known. Gifts, benefits like transformed character, the promise of eternal life, and so much more, okay? But, but the Christmas story highlights three benefits that accompany the Savior's coming. We're just going to work, work through them one by one, okay? Uh, number one, we can experience glory. Glory attended the coming of Christ. As, as the angel appeared to the shepherd, it says that the glory of God, the glory of the angel shone around them. And then when they announced who Jesus was, they ended their song as more and more angels showed up on the scene. Um, they ended by saying, glory to God in the highest. Now, why would glory dominate the announcement of Jesus in this way? And I think the answer is, is simple. is because Jesus is full of glory. Jesus being God is glorious. And we get caught up into this story when we recognize how glorious he is and how that should move us to say, God, you are amazing. You are brilliant and radiant. There is none higher than you. There is none greater than you. There is none brighter than you. There is none better than you. And we see this in the, the person of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4 puts it like this, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, the eternal perfections of God made known. They're right there in Jesus and then Hebrews 1, verse 3, says this, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. And the insanity of it all, if you'll allow me to describe it that way, the insanity of it all is that God, in his infinite glory, that Jesus came bearing as God, invites us, you and me, to see his glory, to savor his glory, and to get swept up into this story of glory that God wants us to experience through him. He made us to see that he is, is, is the greatest treasure in the world and that everything that we deem great pales in comparison to who he is and what he's done for us. God has no rival. And so as we see how great he is, then we too will say with the angels, hey, God, you are that great. You deserve the highest of praises with my life. And so I hope this Christmas you will experience the glory of God, and I hope this Christmas you will experience the peace of God. Look, look back at verse 14 of chapter 2. It says what? Glory to God in the highest, and the announcement continues by saying, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Jesus' coming results in praise to God and peace 
for people like you and me. Peace is describing a harmonious relationship, a thriving, a flourishing relationship that now we can have with God again because of Jesus and his coming. And notice that his peace is for everyone, but his peace is not for everyone. And you say, well, Tanner, like, what, are you, what are you talking about? Let's read, read the verse carefully. Um, it says, on earth peace, what? Among those with whom he is pleased. And so whom are those that, that God is pleased with? God is pleased with those who receive the gift of his son. So even though the, the gospel is universal, it is not universally accepted. Not everyone experiences the peace of God because they don't want to receive his peace. We could say it another way. The gospel is worthy of all acceptation, all right, but it is not accepted by all. And so in order for us to experience the peace of God, a harmonious relationship with God that brings harmony to the other relationships in our lives, as well as that which we do on a day-to-day basis, to receive that peace, we need to receive peace that gift of Jesus Christ. Experience his glory, experience his peace, and finally experience his joy. Listen, I know we talked about this last week. I believe Pastor John talked about it a couple weeks ago. All right, but but, but joy characterizes this whole story. Like if, if there is not some moments in your journey this Christmas season where you have just some deep abiding joy in your life that that actually transforms your countenance. You know what I'm saying? Like actually puts a smile on your face and a little cheer in your spirit. Um, if, if that's not going on, then, then I'm just questioning, like I'm questioning for myself, if, if we really get it. Joy characterizes this whole deal. The angel's announcement, Elizabeth's greeting, Mary's song, the shepherd's response. Joy, 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 rejoicing. And so in the hustle and bustle of this season, look, I know there's a lot to do. I know there are a lot of meals to prepare. I know there are a lot of people to see. I know there are a lot of gifts to wrap. I know there's a lot of things going on. But, but, but are you experiencing the joy of God because of who Jesus is? We can Strike up the band. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we can pop some bottle. Like, we don't have to wait for New Year's Eve to celebrate. Every single day, every single moment is an opportunity to rejoice in God. Not because of our circumstances. Not because of our circumstances are great. Listen, I know we're all going through different uh, difficulties in life. But still, uh, to know Christ is to know joy. Are you experiencing the captivating glory of God? Are you experiencing the comforting peace of his presence? Are you filled with this celebration-producing joy of his salvation? Jesus came to bring all of this and so much more. So we embrace Jesus as the Savior. We experience his gifts. And then finally, we should expect that this news would produce a varied response in our souls. 
I, I love this story and how it ends because you have different characters with different responses. Verses 17 through 20, they're, they're not like an addendum to the story and just kind of tacked on at the end, but they are meant to draw us in to experience what they experienced and know that the realities of Christmas and all that they experienced in these moments are now available for us if we too would receive them. So let's read these verses again and see how they responded to the arrival of Jesus that first Christmas. It says this, and, and when they saw it, speaking uh, of the shepherds, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. First we see in verse 17 that the shepherds spread the word, right? We see both actions and attitudes going on here in their, their multidimensional response to the Savior's coming, okay? The, the first one is an action, right? They went and they spread the word. Share, repeat, retweet, retell. You know what I'm saying? Like re replay, watch it again, talk about it again. It was the natural response of the shepherds to what they saw. We, we, we see from the angels that this, this good news is news for everyone. And so here, here's, here's the secret, okay? Um, when we see how good God is, we're going to naturally want to let other people in on that. And so the, the, the only really um, proper response to seeing the glory of Christ is to go and tell someone else about this glory, right? So what we do with everything else in our lives that, that means something to us, we just naturally want to talk about that which brings us this great joy. And so listen, as we, as we go full of the joy of Christ, we are inviting other people in to know that same joy through him. And so listen, I, I know this can be difficult, all right? I know, I know it can be somewhat awkward at times, like we, people, people maybe don't want to hear it all the time, but, but here are just a few encouragements. Um, how about just by beginning by, by simply praying for people in your life that you care about? I mean, that's why we, this week we, we put on your worship guide on the back with a sermon notes, three blanks that are just like people in your life that you care about that because this story is so amazing, you would want to... Share it with them in some way, shape, or form. So pray for people. Um, as we talked about last week, right? Like we all have a story to tell. God is doing something in our lives. And so let's find ways to give God some props through what he's doing in our lives. As simple as that. Then we can also, of course, just invite people to hear the story. 
So this is, this is one of the main motivations for, for Christmas at the Chevalier on the December 23rd. It, it is said that everyone that's already connected to Redemption Hill can come together and have a time of reflection and celebration over who he is. But it is also a great excuse to invite people that we care about and those in our city who are probably more open and receptive at this time of the year than any other time of the year. So listen, uh, take an invite card, okay? Do your own thing. Write an email. Jump on Facebook at our, our event, all right? We've, we've already shared that, that, that page with about 600 people, okay? We want to see that thing by the end of next week go up to about 1,200. And it's not that, like, you know, people get a notification and there's an event. Like, no, um, let them know and then send them something more personal, like a, a text message. Give them a call, uh, have, them, have them over for, for, for a meal and, and, and give a personal invitation to what is going on. Um, the point is this. Let's, let's be like the shepherds here. Let's take every opportunity to spread the word about this good news of great joy. That's not the only way we can respond, though. That's an action. What about, what about an, uh, an action that is, that is more characterized as an attitude? We see it in verse 18 that the people wondered at what the shepherds had told them. This word wonder can be translated amazed. It means that they were astonished by what they heard. They marveled at what they were hearing, that, that angels showed up and, and that the glory of God is, is, is being made known in the arrival of this baby. Um, they, were, they were amazed by what was happening. And so we should, again, ask ourselves, are we amazed by this story? Uh, like, when was the last time that the, the, the good news of Jesus, what we know as the gospel, just means good news. When was the last time the gospel just absolutely stopped you in your tracks? When is the last time the gospel moved you to tears? Because it's so good, it's so rich, it's so true. Jesus came that we might be amazed, that we might be astonished, that we might realize that God has wired us in such a way to be awed by that which is glorious. And that the, the primary predicament of our life, the primary problem of our lives is that we are in awe of so many lesser amazements that we put that greatest amazement on the, on the shelf. And so the invitation of Christmas is an invitation to enter into the wonder of the story, to be amazed by what God has done for us in Christ. We probably won't wonder, we probably won't be amazed if we aren't doing what verses 19, uh, verse 19 says, which is what Mary treasured up these things and she pondered them in her heart. I think we all agree that we can be way too busy, right? And we just need, like, we need to downshift, and we need to slow down and just ponder. It means to think 
deeply. To consider in deep thought the, the events that took place in there. These are, these are things that we just can't shake. We can't get them out of our mind because we're so captivated by them. The more we ponder, the deeper they're going to sink into our soul, and the deeper they sink into the soul, to our souls, the more we're going to treasure them. God made us to treasure him. And so let's ponder and treasure Jesus this Christmas season. And then finally, uh, it concludes by saying that the shepherds returned, and they did what? Here's another response. They glorified and praised God. The last few weeks at Redemption, we've talked a lot about singing. We've talked a lot about singing when things are difficult. We've talked about singing when things are great. And so uh, just to remind us once again that, that praising God is what we were made for and that as we do that, as we, as we give God the, the glory that is due His name, that that actually brings us the greatest satisfaction and fulfillment ourselves. And so don't just like listen to, to songs, although that's good, but, but actually sing the words. Like there's something freeing when we sing praise to God for who He is and what He has done for us. And so what we're going to do is this. We're going to conclude this time of being in the story by singing the story, all right? So I'm going to invite Caleb and the, and the team to come up and lead us in a classic Christmas hymn. And what's going to happen is this. You're going to, you're going to read the words and you're going to sing the words and you're going to realize that you're singing the story that we have just heard. And so my prayer for us today, and we're going to pray on this together before we sing, is that God would take us deeper. He would take us deeper into the wonder of this story, that he would move us to be amazed, that we would not just think about these for, you know, about, you know, 75 minutes on a Sunday morning, but that we would continue to think about all of who Jesus is and what he has done, and that we would treasure him, and that we would praise him, and that we would be so uh, moved by him that it would move us to share him with other people. If he's that good, then let's respond in that way. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful that you have invited us into the wonder of your story. Father, we pray that we would not hear this story again today in kind of a, a monotonous way that, that, that is so familiar that, that we just kind of cruise on by. Lord, we pray that you would grab us, that you would pull us into the glory of who you are and what you've done for us in the sending of your Son, Jesus Christ. So Father, I pray for every person in this room, I pray for every person connected to Redemption Hill Church that you would continue to, to renovate our story by this story in such a way that we would shine you as we move forward in this city and that more and more people would come to know the good news of what you have done for us 